Welcome to the OKC First Church of the Nazarene podcast. At OKC First, we are learning to do three things, friendship with God, friendship with one another, and open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. God. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Well done. Now, some of you out there might be just, thank you, cynical enough to say, those kids getting baptized, they do not know what they are saying. We should wait. We should wait until they're adults. Then they'll know exactly what they're doing when they get into the baptismal pool. I have news for us. (laughs) I've baptized a few seven-year-olds that did not know what they were getting into when they got baptized. And by the way, when a young couple gets married, <laughs> do we think that they know all that is ahead of them, all that they need to know about marriage? We do not. We do not. Part of the reason the church exists, part of the reason the church exists is so that we can help one another live into and up to our promises. Because, by the way, whether you're talking about any of these sacraments, um, communion, baptism, I'm one who believes that marriage itself is a sacrament, you need to know that in a sacrament, God does more than you do. And so what we do over the years, and you heard Lisa say it, even about a, a decision to be baptized, what we do over the years is we try to help people to see that, in fact, God has done something that now you need to live into and up to. We baptize infants around here, too. And I promise you, the infants don't know what they're getting into. <laughs> but we understand. We understand it to be our responsibility to help them know what it is that they have just said or what it is that has happened to them and for them what it is that God has done that now we will respond to. Just to make sure that you understand kind of what we're thinking, what I'm thinking as we baptize very young people. And by the way, we will do it again the second Sunday of March, but it doesn't have to be just little bitty people. If you would like to be baptized on March the 9th, 
Or if you would like to remember your baptism, we have another ceremony for that. If you'll just let us know, in a minute, Jason will ask you to pass those friendship folders up and down the pew. And if you'll let us know, then we'll get back in touch with you. There are classes attached to your being baptized, and we will at least want to have a meeting with you if you want to remember your baptism so that you kind of know what to expect. But we welcome it. We want it to happen. March the 9th, please let us know. We've already got six ready to go. And so uh, adding more to that number will not be a bad thing at all. We are in an epiphany series. Uh, Imagine, and I'm very grateful to uh, Pastor Jason Smith. I think did a great job last week in keeping on this series. We're in an epiphany series. Uh, and, And it has everything to do with imagination. As you heard from Jason last week, and I'm just going to, because I know it was a sort of a snowy day and not very many people heard, but here's what you should have heard from Jason last week if you were here, and this is what you'll remember. Um, wait, if you weren't here, and this is what you'll remember if you were here. There is a new kind of kingdom birthed and launched and inaugurated with this Jesus. And this new kind of kingdom can best be described by Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And he said to you, beautifully, he said to you, these are not standards to which you're supposed to aspire individually. We're not asking you, once you leave here, to make sure you find places to go and mourn so that you can then be comforted. What we're saying is, no, this is in some sense the constitution of the new kingdom that has been launched in and through this Jesus, and we are supposed to participate in it to bring that same kingdom to its full fruition. Make sense? Because I really think it's possible to hear those words out of context. By the way, words heard out of context become dangerous. Words heard out of context, oh, wow, um, not sure what happened there, but trust me, the, the statement here is, if you were to hear me say, for some reason, he's not going to make it. Context is everything, because perhaps you will imagine, just having heard me use that phrase, you will imagine that I'm at a bedside, right? You'll imagine that I'm at a, in a hospital room at a bedside, and so if you hear me say he's not going to make it, you're going to think, ooh. You get on the phone, you get on the gossip phone, you say, I just heard pastor say he's not going to make it. What you didn't know is that I was actually watching a golf tournament. <laughs> And the 30-foot putt in front of this guy, I'm saying, nah, I don't think he's going to make it. I I found some others that are great. Let's eat, Grandma. (laughs) Well, context requires that you put uh, some punctuation in there to make sure that you don't actually eat Grandma, right? Or here's a good one. I like cooking my family (laughs) and my pets. Context, context. Here's my favorite one. Hunters, please use caution when hunting pedestrians using walk trails. (laughs) Context is everything. Context tells us how to hear the words that we've heard. I would submit to you that the Sermon on the Mount contains lots of words that we perhaps have not heard in their context. And when we don't hear those words in their context, then they are not quite as disturbing as they're supposed to be. They're not quite as revolutionary as they're supposed to be. They don't have as much of a grip on us as they're supposed to have. And so my hope is that we will hear these words in context. Now, in order to discuss this context, though, we have to have a better understanding of the much larger conversation that is happening in Scripture. I do not mean to hurt anyone's feelings today. I really don't. 
but I want you to know that I hold here in my hand a New Testament, but at least it has the Psalms with it too. Let me tell you, this is what this is called, New Testament with Psalms. Here's what it's not called, the Bible. You see, part of the reason we struggle to really understand what it is that Jesus is saying, part of the reason, is because we don't allow ourselves to hear the words of Jesus, the ones in the red letters, right, in context, in the same larger conversation that's being had throughout Scripture. You need to hear this. <laughs> you can make more sense of the life of Jesus and the words of Jesus if you have some idea of how this Jesus fits in the overarching narrative of Scripture. You find out that Jesus is doing what God's wanted to do all the way along. Jesus does not re represent a departure from the original dream of God. Jesus represents the fulfillment of the original dream of God. Pretty good place for an amen, I'll wait. All right, all right. <laughs> if you're visiting with us today, just go ahead and say amen. Just, just give, help a brother out here. And so, uh, we're going to actually go back to another passage of Scripture that's available to us today, this particular Sunday in the Christian calendar. We're going to go all the way back to one of my favorite passages of Scripture, all the way back to Isaiah chapter 58. Now, here is the backdrop of Isaiah 58. Uh, Isaiah 58 um, tells the story of the people of God coming back home after they have been exiled. They've come back home after exile, and they have tried, they have tried to reconstitute a, a believing sort of community, but they haven't done it very well. And here's what I mean when I say that. It, it turns out that the people who came back understood their religious movements uh, inadequately, we could say it like that. They didn't very well understand what it meant to be the people of God, they sort of felt like as long as they somehow uh, participated in religious movements, then somehow they could kind of keep God off their back. And I think there are still people who believe that I do or we do Christian things to somehow keep God at bay, as opposed to uh, actually accomplishing the dream of God. Turns out that all religious movements are meant to set someone free, and sometimes that someone is you. All religious movements are meant to bring about liberation, hope, and help, all of them. And so if ever we sort of uh, co-opt those religious movements and we make them more about us, then we have the same kind of problem that the prophet Isaiah is dealing with here. The people say right out loud, why do we fast, God, but you do not see? We humble ourselves, but you don't notice. And Isaiah now is doing some commentary. He says, look, here's the deal. You serve your own interest on your fast day and oppress all your workers. You fast only to quarrel and to fight and to strike with the wicked fist. Such fasting as you do today will not make your voice heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose, a day to humble oneself? Is it to bow down the head like a bulrush, to lie in sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Turns out, this is what God is after. Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of injustice? Oh, some people in the room would prefer that I never use the term justice, much less injustice. Because it's at this point that you feel like I'm infringing on your politics. You're going to be disappointed here because this is a Christian word. 
It's a Christian word. I don't care what some other news channel has done to it. This is a Christian word and the right translation of the words here in the book of Isaiah. And beyond that, beyond that, it speaks to the larger Christian hope that this would be a better place to live for everyone. Another great place for an amen, but I'll just stay here, whatever. That is what we mean when we say justice. We have not been co-opted by either party, I promise, but we must understand, we must understand that this is the embodiment of the dream of God, that people would be freed to live the lives that God dreams for them to live. Oh, now we're getting there. Come on now. <laughs> to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. Now, this is a verse that takes up a lot of space in my brain. This is one of the operating principles where, where I'm concerned, where my ministry is concerned, where I, where I try to shape and guide our ministers and where I'm trying to shape and guide all of you. This is, I think, one of the best articulations of the dream of God for a movement that we now call Christianity. It goes something like this. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You, you all, you all shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to live in. Ugh. This is the dream of God. But somehow, and I think it, 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 I think it happens when you decide that the Old Testament doesn't matter as much as the New Testament. This is the dream of God, but somehow we forget that this is the dream of God. And when we forget that this is the dream of God, then we hear all the other words of Christ out of context. And when you hear the words of Christ out of context, you are likely to do this. You are likely to make faith and Christianity simply a matter of your insides. You, you make it an internal, a private sort of thing. So long as you hold to and believe the right thoughts inside, that's really what matters and that is the sum total of your Christian experience. But that does violation to the faith that is demonstrated and communicated throughout the Bible, especially the Old Testament. <laughs> and so we're gonna go back to these words that you're so familiar with, the words having to do with salt and light, but I wanna make sure that we're doing it in context, so you understand the ramifications of being called salt and light. So you understand what it is that God wants to do with salt, so that you understand what it is that God wants to do with light. Our verses are 13 through 20, but actually we're gonna start toward the end. We're gonna start actually with 17. Amazing statement that Jesus makes here. Do not think, as many people do, and as evidenced by the fact that we print a lot of Bibles that don't have the Old Testament law, or the stories of the Old Testament prophets. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, Jesus says. I have not come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come to put skin on it all. Make sense? This word fulfill. This word fulfill. 
does not have so much to do with prediction. Now, when we use the term prophecy, we have this, this strange tendency to understand it as prediction. It's not so much prediction. And prophets wouldn't so much tell you who's going to win the horse race tomorrow so that you can win a bunch of money. What prophets will do, prophets will say, horse racing and gambling may bankrupt you. That's what prophets do. And so, Jesus comes to not only put skin and flesh in what it means to be the people of the law. And by the way, the ancient Israelites did not see the law as a straitjacket. They saw it as a gift. <laughs> a gift, a means whereby they stayed in covenantal relationship with God. They saw it as a gift. They jumped at the chance many times. Many times they jumped at the chance to respond covenantally so as to further and continue this relationship. And the prophets, the prophets oftentimes were the guys who would come along and say, the people who come along and say, look, you are supposed to be here, but you're all the way over here, and this gap is a problem. This gap is going to be a problem, and really more for you than for God. Now, God has a problem with it, but you are wandering into oncoming traffic. That's why we need prophets. And Jesus comes not to abolish the law and the prophets, not so that we can have Bibles that don't have Old Testaments, but to tell us what the prophets and the laws are trying to communicate. Doing okay? Okay, I'll take your word for it. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Until what is accomplished? Now we're back to Isaiah 58. Repairing the breach. Restoring streets. Now, fair question. You might at this point ask me, so, it has only to do with the society that sounds awfully uh, liberal. <laughs> it sounds awfully, so it's only social? You mean it doesn't have anything to do with me? Oh, no, 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 no. Hear this, hear this, hear this. Yes, I do think it has to do with the larger dream of God for the creation that God called good. But crucial in this system of life, crucial to this movement crucial to this movement is your living as people of the covenant on an individual basis. You hear that, right? In other words, your good behavior, your good decisions, your keeping all of your promises, that all happens against a larger backdrop, larger than your promises, larger than your good behavior. The larger backdrop goes something like this. In and through my people, I will demonstrate to all people what a godly life can look like. You have the opportunity by your good behavior, by your good decisions, and by keeping your promises, you have the opportunity to demonstrate what God is like and what God dreams for life. So yes, be good, keep your promises, make good decisions, but just know, just know that all of that happens against a larger backdrop. Goes on to say this, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments that we've left out in some of our Bibles. And teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now I think we're ready to go back and talk about salt and light. I think we have a better idea now of the context, the context that allows us to hear these words and receive them as they were sent. 
For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Let's explain this a little bit. One of the darkest chapters in the history of the people of God would be known as the exile. And if that's not bad enough, it happened twice. So there were two of these chapters. And if that's not bad enough, it seems as though during the writing of the Gospel of Matthew, during the life of Christ, it still felt to them, the people of God, like they were still in exile. Because the Roman occupation, the Roman occupation, they, they moved in and they made every decision. They even claimed to own all the fish in the Sea of Galilee. They were everywhere. They were everywhere. And it seems like they were always putting parameters and boundaries on what life was supposed to look like and what faith in that life was supposed to look like. And so you had three different groups of people, three different factions, let's say, within the Jewish movement, and they each responded differently to the Roman occupation. The Sadducees, you've heard that term before, the Sadducees said, you know what, they've won. Let's just go ahead and go along and get along and collaborate with them. One whole group said that. Then you had the zealots. And the zealots said, let's fight them to the death. Let's take up arms. Let's do whatever we have to do, but let's fight them. Surely God will be on our side. We will fight them with weapons, real weapons, and we will win. Somewhere in between you had the Pharisees, the scribes and the Pharisees, who seemed to have said this, Rome is reality, we probably ought to make sure that this faith thing kind of stays inside. We will turn faith, instead of it being a world-making proposition, like faith was intended to be, we will make it into an interior proposition. And we will hold people to these particular legal standards. That's what we'll do with the kingdom. And that's what we'll call righteousness. And Jesus comes along and he says here in this verse, tell you what, <laughs> you better be more righteous than that. Here's the major difference between Jesus and the Pharisees. The Pharisees believed that the grand glorious event of God still was in the future. And so they did all that they did to make sure that they were prepared for this grand and glorious event of God that was still in the future. Does that sound familiar? But Jesus insisted that the grand and glorious event of God was Jesus. That the kingdom had in fact been kicked off, inaugurated, launched in the person of Jesus. That grand, big, glorious event, the biggest one that you can imagine, had happened in the birth, in the life, in the ministry, in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so now we live in response to the grand movement of God as opposed to living in anticipation of it. Whew. Some of you are squirming in your seats right now. Because some of you still hang on. Surely God's going to change everything. But really, I think the call of God for us is to look at Jesus and to say, wow, Something, no, everything has changed with the coming of Christ, and perhaps it's time for us to live, to live as the people who've already won. 
That's the context of our conversation. And so, Jesus says, look, (laughs) you, and by the way, it's a plural word, right? In Oklahoma, we would would pronounce it as y'all. Y'all are the salt of the earth. And by the way, he was saying this to the disciples. We know that there were some other people who overheard what was coming on. And so there were, there were um, lots of people there. But Jesus was saying to disciples, to believers, to followers, he was differentiating between believers and followers and other people. So it wasn't just that he was saying y'all. He was saying y'all and not them. Y'all. are the salt of the earth. Do you know that God has always intended to have a group of people who would embody, embody the character and nature of God to the other people? I mean, you you have to know that. This whole faith thing is gonna break down for you if you don't get that. God has always intended to have a group of people who would embody the character and nature of God, so that other people could see what this God is like and jump in and be involved. God has always wanted to have a people of God. In fact, he chooses Israel to be the people of God, and people should be able, this is the reason one of the commandments is no graven images, no idols, and it's because, you've heard me say this before if you've been here any length of time, No graven images, no idols. It's not because God worries about competitors. It's because we are the gathered up people of God. We're supposed to be all that someone really needs to know what God is like. Now that's horrifying. When the people of God couldn't be the people of God, then God becomes the person of God. Make sense? Jesus is the ultimate example, not only of what God is like, but Jesus is the ultimate example of what God dreams for us to be like. And now, Jesus says, we're rebuilding this whole people of God thing. We're we're adding people to the movement. We did so today. We're adding people to the movement in the hopes that, again, people would be able to look at us and have some understanding of what this God is like just by looking at us. And so he says, you all, you all are the salt of the earth. Now, we could walk through all the different things that salt can do, right? There's the flavoring. That's good. All of these work in this whole Christian metaphor thing, right? Flavoring, flavor society, preserving, yep, that works. Salt actually is, a, is something that when spread on the ground can protect you. Thank you, Phil Johnson. Where are you, Phil? Phil, thank you. Got here this morning and put salt everywhere. And salt helped you to get inside the building. Did you know that salt is actually the root word in the word salary? Salt was, was such uh, an important um, substance. That it was actually, it was, so, it was so everywhere, right? It was so everywhere in all of life. You needed salt for so many different ways that the root word of salary, the, the thought here is that we'll give you money so you can buy all the salt that your life really needs. You needed the salt more than you needed the money. That's the root word of the word salary. Did you know also, oh, this is cool, that whenever in ancient times 
covenants were made, oftentimes they were made and sort of sealed with an exchange of salt. In other words, salt seems to have always been present where good promises and deep promises are made. Promises like are made in a baptistry. And so Jesus says, look, you all are the salt of the earth, meant to bring out the best of the society, the creation that God calls good. You're the salt of the earth. Don't lose your saltiness. If you do, I don't know how you get that back. This is the role you play in the larger society. Not only that, he says this, but you're also the light of the world. And (laughs) watch this. When you go home and you turn on a light, typically people don't turn on lights and then stare at the lights. You you don't go in and turn on the lights so you can then just say, oh, my word, that that is a light bulb. Honey, come in here and take a look at this light bulb. It came on as soon as I turned on the switch. Look at that. It's a light bulb. No, we, we use light so that we can see something else. You're the light of the world. And the intention is not so much that people would stare at you, but the hope is that because of the light that we bring to a society, the hope is that then that society can see what they're supposed to see or see the one they're supposed to see. You're the light of the world. You all are the light of the world. Other groups are not. Not yet. You all are the light of the world. And by your light, people can see the God that they couldn't see before, see the good creation that they couldn't see before, see and sense hope where they couldn't see it or sense it before. You're the light of the world. And since you're the light of the world, please uh, make sure that everyone can see it. So don't uh, put it underneath a bushel. And this is where someone could shout no, right? (laughs) Because people need to be able to see it. Context, context, context. In other words, in the statements, you're the salt of the earth and you're the light of the world, here's what God is saying to the people of God. I need you to help them know about me, says God. Now, Is it an individual measure? I guess so. I guess it can be, as long as you understand that your individual measure is against somehow a larger, better backdrop. God really has in mind that creation is good. Does anybody want to amen that one? God really does have in mind that life is good, and it is the hope of God, as seen in the character and nature of God, that the people of God would be salt and light so that you could flavor society and allow people to see all that God dreams for, yes, a life, but also for all of life with a capital L. So your being good is not just about your being good. That energy wears off. Your being good is about your being salt. Your being good is about your being light going to switch the metaphor a bit. Your being good is about you being the music that 
life and the people around you most need to hear. Not too long ago, someone did an experiment. It was in Washington, D.C., a subway station. And a guy by the name of Josh Bell, who was a fantastic uh, violinist, they, they sent Josh to this subway station, uh, but he was out of context. He was not sitting uh, with the other members of the Philharmonic. He was not in a concert hall. He was in a subway station. And because he was out of context, no one recognized him. Because he was out of context, no one seemed to really appreciate, save for one or two people, no one seemed to really appreciate the artistry and the power and the majesty of the music because he was out of context. We're going to watch this video. And I want you to see two different things in this video as we watch it. Watch it, and then we're going to be done. Is it possible, here's the first thing, is it possible that this violinist represents the God who is offering the music of life, <laughs> and yet people are just too busy? They do not recognize this God because this God is out of context. God's supposed to be in church, not supposed to be in a subway station. Is it possible also, maybe, that this violinist as you see all these people streak by on their way to do whatever else that they're trying to do, is it possible that this violinist also represents us who are trying now, who are trying to be salt and light and the music, the song of God, but because we're out of context, maybe they don't see us or hear us. But that doesn't mean we don't stop. That doesn't mean that we stop being salt and light and song. I was captured as I watched this over and over by the one who stops. By the one who finally recognizes that something bigger and better is going on. Please hear this. I believe that if we will continue to be salt and light and song, someone will notice. Someone will notice. Let's take a look.
Here's the thing. I think because the church, Christianity, because we have perhaps heard some words outside of context, because we have not appreciated the larger, fuller context of words like you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world, because we have not appreciated that larger context, many people have paid a terrible price. We're called to be salt and light, and the way that Jesus, the way that Jesus describes salt and light here, these are not necessarily dominant, powerful metaphors, are they? You can't read about us being salt and light and say, well, God's only in his heaven if we Christians are in charge. No, we're, we're called to be salt. Salt brings out the flavor of the food that's already there. We're called to be light, but light does not point to itself. Light illuminates so that what is already there can be known, appreciated, better understood. We're called to sing the song, even if most people go streaking by. We're called to sing the song because there is that chance that someone will finally hear the song of life. So who is it around you? Who is it around us? What group around us needs to hear us play the song of life? That's what I want you to pray about. Would you stand with me? As we move to prayer, my hope is that God somehow has been able to say something to you today about context. And not just the context of these scriptures, but your context, our context. My best hope is that we will hear these words of Christ in context so that we can be a greater influence on our contexts. But it is kind of personal. So as we move to prayer, perhaps you can ask, God, who is it around me that needs me to be salt, light, song? God, who is it around us that needs us to be? Because y'all are the salt and the light and the song. Who around us needs to hear, needs to know? Father, help us to hear you in context. Help us to understand better this movement that we've initiated these young people into today. Help us to understand what it is that you're trying to do in and through us, Lord. Even, God, if you have to take my own attention off of myself and my own faith for the moment. Because, God, I, I can tell you that I need to see, I believe that we need to see the larger picture, what it is that you're up to, what it is that you're trying to do. And so, God, draw our attention to those circumstances around us, to those people around us, who in fact are waiting on us to be salt and light and song. Brandon's going to sing, and I want to invite you to, to pray. And you are welcome to come here and pray.
If you come and pray at one of these wooden altars, you will find that someone will pray along with you and embody the touch of God. If you choose to pray at one of these padded altars, we'll understand that to mean that you're in need of healing and someone will meet you there to anoint you with oil and pray that prayer for healing. Now, you don't have to come here. You can pray wherever you are. I hope that you will pray wherever you are. But if you'll allow me, I'd like to guide and direct that prayer a bit by starting something like this. God, who is the person? Who are the people? What are the circumstances around me waiting on me to be salt, light, and song? So as Brandon sings, you are going to sing. As Brandon sings, I want you to find a place to pray. someone here that you would like to surround and support in prayer, this is a good time to do that. I encourage you to make that move now. I want to invite you to take a posture of prayer most comfortable for you. If you'd like to remain standing, you're certainly welcome to do so. If you'd like to be seated, please do that. If you want to kneel where you are, you're welcome to do that. I'm going to pray a brief prayer of confession, and Jason will close us out with prayers of intercession. We'll pray for others. And then we will conclude. Jason will lead us in the Lord's Prayer. Father, we confess that we have this awful tendency to hear you, but not to receive what you've said. It's almost as if, God, sometimes we just overhear. We, we have this tendency, Lord, to... Uh, not appreciate the larger context. We're not just talking about the larger context of Scripture, God. We, we have this awful tendency to miss the larger thing that you are doing and have been doing from day one. 
God, help us to see how we fit into the larger thing that you're doing. God, give us a better idea of what it is that you're doing. Give us a better, clearer, deeper understanding of what it means to be a person of faith. Show us how our good behavior and good decisions, how they all fit, how they mean more than just that we have made good decisions or that we have had good behavior. God, now draw our minds to those people around us. We're waiting for us to be salt and light and song. prayer. We want to begin by lifting Rodney Bell's father in prayer. Rodney here to see his grandson be baptized today and not feeling well. Um, he's been taken to Baptist Integris Hospital with, through ambulance and ask God that you would come alongside Rodney and Becky and their kids. Also especially Bob as he's taken to the ER now and his wife Lynn. God you would come alongside this family especially in the healing of Bob through the good work of the people at the hospital. We all come to today knowing someone in our lives who needs a specific healing touch. So after you finish praying for Bob and for the Bell family, just picture that person that God gives you in your mind and ask God for a healing touch on someone who you know needs God to come alongside and heal through his spirit. God that you would be with the wheelers as they've gathered here and so many have placed their hands upon them. Ask God you'd be with the health both Ron and Pat and Lawrence and Loretta. Lord we're thankful that they're here but God as they are at this place we ask God that you would continue to transform their health but continue to transform them more day by day in the very likeness of your son Jesus Christ. And thank you for the exemplars they are in this place for us. Each of us came into this place with a specific need, and we want to take time to make sure each person is prayed for. So if you would look to your right, pray for the person on your right, whatever need they may have, that God would come alongside of them. Take time to pray for the person on your left. someone has prayed for them today. And God, we especially ask you to be with those who, although they're surrounded by many people today, have a sense of loneliness about them. 
God, would you through us and through your spirit come alongside them in specific and important ways today. God, we love you and thank you for all the things you're doing in and among us and ask God that you be with this church and all of us as we move and are being transformed in your very image. And Lord, may you do that through weekly prayers like this. Pray in the Lord's Prayer and we'll pray this morning using debts and debtors. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Like us on Facebook at Oklahoma City First Church of the Nazarene. Or follow us on Twitter at OKC First Church.